This evening's reading is from Matthew 8, beginning at verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, I say, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Well, thank you all. And let me add my welcome. It's really good to have you with us this evening um, at Chalmers. Uh, Four is a wonderful um, passage and wonderful part of Matthew's gospel that we're in, this, this biography of Jesus' life, this eyewitness testimony uh, to what actually happened on the ground. Um, and we're at an exciting moment. If you are new to church things or you're new tonight, uh, you've come at a really good time, actually, because we're just starting a new section of Matthew. Uh, so we've heard the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever given. Uh, and now we're going to um, see kind of Jesus in action. He's talked the talk, and it was amazing. But can he walk the walk? Can he back up his authority to teach um, with authority in real life on the ground? Just before we get to that, though, um, you'll see an outline on the, on the back of the service sheet. And I want to begin by asking um, or raising this topic that it can be hard to ask for help. I don't know how you are in terms of asking for help. I think some of us do find it hard. I mean, there's the funny ones, the lost driver. 
he might be male, going round and round in circles because Google Maps has gone wrong and he doesn't want to stop and ask directions. But there's more serious ones, aren't there? Uh, the student struggling at work or school and too embarrassed to tell anyone that they need extra help. A married couple in a state of cold war, but they don't tell anyone. An individual who's addicted to pornography or to alcohol, too ashamed to say it and so not getting any help. An elderly person not really managing to keep up with practicalities of home life anymore, struggling to admit help might actually be needed. Or perhaps all of us can resonate with this one, someone who's worried that there might be something wrong with their body, but they don't want to see a doctor in case they find out there is. Many of us find it really hard to ask for help. And if that's true generally in society, perhaps with the most personal things we deal with, well, how much more in spiritual matters, the most important matters in life, the most personal matters in life, we often want to put on a brave face, don't we? To others, to God, sometimes even to ourselves. Kidding ourselves, well, we're not that bad. We're not that sinful. We're not falling that far of what God has asked us to do and to be. And then and we discover, like we have over the last few weeks in the Sermon of the Mount, and we discover that when Jesus speaks, it's very clear what the right standard of living is what the standard of entry into God's kingdom is. And actually for him, kind of 51% is not okay. You know, slightly more good things than, than outweighing the bad things. Or as long as other people think I'm okay. Or as long as I'm better than some other people. Now Jesus said these words, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, the kind of top religious people of his day, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He said, that's the standard of the kingdom of heaven, God's standards. Not kind of, oh, a bit of lying's fine, a bit of lust is okay, we all do it. No, God is the standard. And so I really think by this point, that the kind of right conclusion at the end of the Sermon of the Mount is to say, help. Oh, help. I need help. That's definitely what Jesus thinks is the right attitude for God's people as they approach a holy God. He said, blessed are those who mourn at their sin. Blessed are the meek, humbled by our sin. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so if we have come off the last few weeks kind of thinking, Jesus, I need help. I mean, help me. Help me with forgiveness and help me with power power to actually change. Well, that's precisely the right place to be. And in these episodes tonight, Matthew, remember, like all the gospel writers, he carefully arranges things. The stories he chooses, real-life stories from Jesus' life, uh, are carefully arranged to help us see and understand who Jesus is and what he's doing. And here we have people who desperately need help, and they know it. So then, let's not be a church of people who are pretending everything is okay, or that we are okay. Let's definitely not be a church that lowers the bar of Jesus' teaching so that we can actually hop ourselves over it. Let's not respond to the Sermon on the Mount thinking, I just need to try harder, I need to suck it up, I need to pull up my socks and really have a go, I can do this. No, we want to be a church, 
and individual Christians who come to Jesus for help. If you're someone here not yet a a Christian, not, not following Jesus... This is a brilliant talk to be at, a brilliant passage to be at. The talk may not be great, but the passage is brilliant. It's brilliant. It's another night to see what, what starting as a Christian would actually involve. Who can become a Christian? This passage says anyone. How do you become a Christian? This passage says just come to Jesus and ask for help. That's what we all need. So let me pray for God's help as we turn to his word. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that your name would be honoured tonight, that your kingdom would come, and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray tonight you'd help us see afresh why we need your help and why Jesus can provide it. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's get into our passage. We've got three points. You can see them on the service sheet. They they fit with the kind of three episodes in our passage. Uh, We're going to see a leper cleansed, and then a centurion who's got a paralyzed servant, uh, and then um, a a whole range of miracles at the end, healing miracles. Now, let me just orientate where we are. I said we're in a new chunk. We're after the Sermon on the Mount. So far in Matthew, Jesus has been announced as God's king, as Adam was saying, God's king who fulfills all the promises we've been waiting for through the Bible. Um, Things like promises to Abraham back in Genesis that lots of us are becoming more familiar with in the mornings. Well, Jesus is the offspring of Abraham, line one of Matthew's gospel, and the offspring of David. He's the king, the promised king of the world. We've seen him teach with unrivaled authority. Just look at the last verse of the Sermon on the Mount. Back to chapter 7, verse 29. Um, I'll start from 28. This is page 812 if you've closed your Bibles. Verse 28 of chapter 7. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. That was the kind of concluding note of that amazing Sermon on the Mount. Wow, we have never heard anything like that. Unique authority. Not just the authority of a Bible teacher, but almost the authority of a Bible writer. He speaks as the one in charge of the kingdom, the king. But now Matthew's saying, well, okay, you've heard the teaching. Now let's see what he's like on the ground. Just before we get to what he's like on the ground, just just on the teaching, I think it's absolutely brilliant that we have Jesus' teaching preserved for us in Scripture. I think sometimes a skeptic might think, well, I can write off the miracles, because, I mean, that's just what they, they say they saw. But, I mean, we all know miracles don't happen, and so maybe they, they were gullible, or they were lying, or they were tricked. And it's quite hard to write off that many witnesses. But, but nevertheless, you can kind of say, well, I wasn't there. But the teaching is here in the Bible. You can actually read it. We did over the last couple of months. How do we explain a carpenter from Nazareth teaching more wisely than the world's greatest philosophers and ethical minds. And then Matthew says to us, well, it's not actually just the teaching that persuaded me to follow this guy. No, it's what he did on the ground. It's the way his walk backed up his talk. That he he couldn't just teach the kingdom of God. He, He started to bring the kingdom of God onto this planet. Or in other words, like I've put in the box, Jesus had unique authority to fix things. 
By fix things, I mean heal and restore and remove all the horrible effects of living in a fallen world. Jesus tonight goes head to head with leprosy, with paralysis, with a dangerous fever and with various other sicknesses. Elsewhere in the section, he's going to show power over the climate, calming a storm to avert a human tragedy. He's going to show power over evil and, and demonic forces, power over blindness, over muteness, even over death itself. It's not just Jesus can teach like no one else. He can fix this world as no one else can. At which point we might be wondering, well, why, why hasn't he then? Like, if he did turn up, why hasn't he fixed the world? As Robin was saying, we have people in our church family tonight who are bereaved or are dealing with really serious illness or struggling with long-term health problems. What's happened to Jesus' power to fix the biggest problems today? Well, the answer to that is that when Jesus returns, he will fix all of that. That's why we pray Your kingdom come. Come, Lord Jesus. And so in these two chapters, chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew, what Jesus does is give a preview of what it's going to be like, a foretaste, a trailer, a demonstration of what he's going to do when he comes to fix the job, to to complete and, and mend this world and its broken bodies. And it was the most amazing time. In these two chapters, we're going to see it's like a show home for God's kingdom. You know the developments that you see around Edinburgh? There seem to be loads of them going up around the kind of edge of the city. Uh, You look at the site and it looks a bit of a mess, kind of lots of mud, some piles of stuff, JCBs scattered around. But then pristinely, just by the entrance, there's this massive advertising board Uh, telling you it's the latest and greatest Taylor Wimpy or Barrett or Kala Kingdom. It's going to look like this, beautiful, glorious. Um, There's there's one near us. The kids have memorized the little phrases on the boards. It's really funny. Every time we drive past, you hear in the back of the car, your future starts here. (laughs) A space to connect. This one I particularly like. Space, style, seclusion. It's obviously what Edinburgh wants. Actually, often it's not just a billboard, it's not just the kind of Sermon on the Mount, the, the telling what it will be like, what it's like. Often they've built one house, haven't they? A show home. A demo of what it's finally going to look like. And you can go in, walk around, knock on the walls. It's the real deal. And they're saying, look, we have the ability to pr- produce this on a grand scale. And so Jesus, in a far more exciting way than Callahomes. Holmes, Jesus says, I have the ability to fix this world's problems. I'll demonstrate it. I'll give you the show home, Matthew 8 and 9. I have the authority to roll back the curse, to restore people to what they were supposed to be, to deal with the symptoms of sin and judgment on this world. And it is quite simply the most amazing news on earth that there's a solution to aging, to death, to sickness, to evil, and that there's evidence of the solution when Jesus walked the planet. Well, it's absolutely amazing news. That's Matthew 8 and 9. We've got a lot to look forward to. But let's get into our our three passages uh, for now, for tonight. Uh, And 
I think the, the thing that unites them is this, this um, need to admit we need help. I think that's where we start in these three stories, the need to ask for help. So let's get into point one. This is an unclean outsider and the amazing compassion of Jesus. An unclean outsider and the amazing compassion of Jesus. Let's pick it up um, from verse one of chapter eight. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now the thing that unites this leper and the centurion we're about to meet. So these are people who came to Jesus asking for help. But more than that, they knew Jesus could help, but they didn't know if he would help them. They come with the opposite of a kind of self-assured complacency, a kind of entitlement. Oh, of course Jesus will help me. That's his job. No. Lord, if you will, if you want to, you can make me clean. Now, in terms of this leper, it's important to realize there's, there's two aspects to his predicament. There's the pure health issue. The word leprosy refers to kind of a range of infectious skin diseases, including the one we call leprosy. Rightly, they were viewed as really serious. So they were highly contagious. There was no known cure at the time. He was not just in the desperate situation health-wise, though, but also socially and spiritually You see, lepers were quarantined away from society, and they were, by God's law, spiritually unclean, unable to participate in normal society and temple worship. Perhaps most movingly and and painfully of all, they could not be touched. To touch an unclean leper was to become spiritually unclean yourself. I'm sorry to bring this up, but many of us in the COVID pandemic learnt to appreciate how valuable human touch is through its absence. No handshakes, no hugs, no arm around the shoulder, no pat on the back. But for this man, that isolation wasn't a few months of lockdown. It wasn't just those outside the bubble of his own family and friends. No, he was ostracized, seemingly permanently, from the whole of society. He is in a desperate situation, medically and spiritually and socially. And so when he heard there's this man around, he's like no one else. He's got authority, even over sickness itself. Well, he didn't care what other people thought of him. He broke all the social taboos. He risked the wrath of the crowd. He went and found Jesus. And then notice his humble, dependent faith-filled attitude. He knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I'd love us to notice what he's certain of and what he's not sure of, where his doubt lies. He's certain Jesus can help him, has the power. You have the authority, Jesus. If you will, you can. What he's not sure of, well, I don't know if you're willing to help me. Wonderfully, Jesus isn't just able, but he's willing. He's full of compassion. And even better than that, look at how he does it. Now, we're going to see in the second episode that Jesus can heal with just a word, even at a distance. But look at how he does this, verse 3. To this man starved of human contact, 
and of personal connection, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. It's an amazing reversal to what normally happens. Turns out when Jesus touches a leper, it's not that Jesus catches the disease or becomes unclean, but rather the the leper becomes healed and cleansed. And Jesus does care about both the physical healing and the spiritual cleansing, that the very first thing he does is send him packing off to Jerusalem to go see the priests, verse 4, and show that he can be readmitted to society and to worship. And so this unclean outsider is brought in through the amazing compassion of Jesus. That's our first point. What's the implication for us? Like, How does this apply to us tonight in Edinburgh? Is the lesson for today, if you have a debilitating skin condition, well, Jesus can fix it if we come in humble faith. That is a good question to ask. And I actually want to say three things in response. First off, our compassionate God is still able powerfully to work miracles today, including miracles of healing. He hasn't changed. And so, just as it's good to pray about all our daily needs and our daily anxieties, it is perfectly appropriate to ask God to heal or remove physical illnesses that we're experiencing. Um, A few of us were doing it actually upstairs beforehand in the prayer meeting. As a family, we pray for healing regularly, both on small things and some of the larger things we're struggling with. We pray for ourselves and for others. That's the first thing. It's absolutely fine to pray for physical healing to the compassionate, powerful God. Secondly, though, we know that God's answer might well be not yet, which feels like a no, (laughs) not yet. Because these miracles, remember, in Matthew 8 and 9, are the show home of the coming kingdom when Jesus returns. They're not primarily here to say you can expect this kind of spiritual intervention every time you're in a storm or every time you're, you're struggling with a disease. No, this is pointing forward, the show home for Revelation 21 when God's kingdom comes, where there's no more sickness, no more death, no more tears or mourning. There was this short time in Capernaum when Jesus was around, witnessed by many where Jesus was emptying hospitals. Not just ones or twos, but tens and twenties. Healed the sick, reversing the curse, fixing a fallen world. That means we mustn't teach that uh, if you haven't been healed, it's probably you haven't prayed properly. (laughs) You haven't had enough faith. That's cruel and does a lot of pastoral damage. No, Paul prayed with plenty of faith, for the thorn in his flesh to be removed, and three times it wasn't. That's the second thing. First, it's fine to pray for healing physically. Secondly, it's not fine to claim it and name it and say, yeah, of course, I can expect to be healed. Now, this is the show home. We can expect to be healed fully when Jesus returns. But actually, thirdly, and I think this is the most important thing for Matthew 8, I think there's real significance to this unclean leper being cleansed that goes beyond physical healing. I mentioned at the start that as we come off the back of the Sermon on the Mount, it's become very clear that spiritually we all need help. Or to put it another way, spiritually, no one is clean. No one's righteous, not even one. When we see the standards of God, 
We might well be thinking, well, I'm not worthy to have a place in your kingdom. I'm not clean enough to sit at your table. And then we find this guy saying, Jesus, if you want to, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I want to. Let's put it another way. The Sermon on the Mount has told us to ask for help again and again. Uh, 7 verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. The Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Help. And lo and behold. In fact, Mark, <laughs> 8 verse 2. Behold. He even uses the word. Lo and behold. When someone comes to Jesus and asks for help because they're not clean, they're not spiritually fit to be in the community worshipping God, Jesus is willing to do everything necessary to make them right, to wash them clean. I know a number of us, I've spoken to some of us who've been convicted about areas of particular sin over the last few weeks or months. My encouragement has been to, to say, have we done this? Gone to Jesus and said, will you make me clean? And then trusting that when he says, I will be cleansed, he means it. That's our first point. An unclean outsider and the amazing compassion of Jesus. Secondly, though, uh, and just say number three is shorter. So if you're starting to worry, don't worry, number three is shorter. Secondly, though, our second point um, Uh, An unworthy outsider and the amazing authority of Jesus. An unworthy outsider and the amazing authority of Jesus. Um, We've had one outsider, the the, the unclean leper. Now we've got another outsider, um, the Gentile, non-Jew, centurion. Again, someone barred from coming right into the center of temple worship of God. Um, And I'm getting this language of unworthy from the centurion himself. Verse 9, have a look. Centurion, sorry, verse 8. The centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Again, there's that humility that comes with real faith. Uh, But he carries on, only say the word and my servant will be healed. Genesis, it's really similar to the leper, isn't it? I know you can, I'm not sure I'm worthy. And the law would back it up again. Uh, Jesus, as a Jewish man, shouldn't actually go into this Gentile house and eat with him or risk getting unclean. But again, Jesus has compassion and compassion on the servant too. By the end of verse 13, he's saying, go, let it be done for you as you've believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So again, we're seeing another example of Jesus' compassion, another example of how to approach Jesus, asking for help in humble faith. Um, but actually, there's more going on in this story than just those things. I think the, the, the other thing it's showing us about Jesus is his authority, his extraordinary authority. We've got a number of medics in the church. I can see some of them tonight. I assume none of you take this approach. There's no visit. There's no tests. There's no diagnosis, there's no medicine, no physio, no pharmaceuticals, no therapy. Just a word at a distance, and it's done. And actually, 
the authority of Jesus does seem to be the focus here. And what better man to understand it than this military man who, has done, who understands more about command structure and kind of how hierarchy works than most. Uh, verse 8 again, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So here's this guy. Above him, he's got tribunes and, and the emperor. Uh, below him, he's got 100 Roman soldiers as part of the local legion. This guy understands power structures. What's amazing is he understands that Jesus doesn't just have authority over people, like telling them how to behave in the Sermon of the Mount. Now, he has the authority to tell sickness where to go. He has the authority to command an end to this servant's paralysis, which is just an extraordinary thought, proven by the end of the episode. Jesus wants us to notice what, what amazing faith this is. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled, said to those who followed me, sorry, followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Again, Jesus wants us to lift our eyes, not just on the physical miracle, but on the bigger issue of entry to God's kingdom. Verse 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, you might recognize some of these names from Genesis, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is really just a repeat of what we heard at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus kept giving us two options, two kinds of tree or two kinds of house built on two kinds of foundation, the rock and the sand. He's saying, look, there will be people who looked the part, sons of the kingdom, who assumed or rather presumed they were in, maybe just through national identity, as if that automatically qualifies you to be part of God's people, sons of the kingdom. Maybe through proximity to Jesus. Well, we were there in the crowds. We heard him teaching. We followed him around. We saw the miracles. But they never came to him for help to be forgiven. That's the difference. And so, shut out of the kingdom, verse 12. Jesus is saying it's not automatic, it's not just from coming to church or hanging around Jesus or even enjoying a few sermons. No, it's whether you build your life on Jesus the rock, which starts by coming and asking for help. That's the scary warning, but actually the, the, the amazing, generous promise is even, even more striking. Verse 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. As we're seeing in Genesis, Jesus says, well, this centurion, he's just the first of many. Many will come and join the kingdom of heaven through Jesus, the offspring of Abraham. That's our second point. We've had the unclean leper, the unworthy outsider in Jesus' compassion. We've had the unworthy outsider, the centurion thinking, Jesus, I couldn't even invite you to a link-up lunch. I'm not worthy to even have you under my roof. And Jesus says, I will make you worthy to sit at the king's table in the kingdom of heaven. 
That's point two. Now let's get on to, finally, point three. We've seen this extraordinary authority of Jesus. He's able to reverse the effects of a fallen world. He's able to welcome people who are barred from God's presence and God's people. The leper, the Jew, the Gentile, the soldier or the saint. But the question is, how is he doing any of this? How is it possible? Particularly, how is it possible that Jesus can just wipe away the curse on this world? So let me back up a bit to explain what I'm talking about. The Bible is clear that that the sickness and the suffering and the war, as we heard this morning in this world, uh, is not how God originally created the world. The world was good. But humanity rebelled against God and all the sickness and the suffering and the death that we experience is as a consequence of that. We are in a fallen world, a world under judgment, a world under curse. It's not that you can draw straight lines. Jesus was clear about that. You can't do a kind of one-to-one correspondence if someone's particularly sick, therefore they're particularly sinful. It's not that. But if you step back and say, why is the whole world suffering at war? Sickness, why is there so much death? Well, the answer is because there's so much rebellion against the creator of life. And so how can Jesus, if that was a just judgment from God, how can Jesus just walk into this town in Capernaum, seemingly wave his magic wand and take it all away? What about the justice? How can he bless People who've rebelled against God. What about the consequences of our sin? Well, this is what the final section gets onto, verses 14 to 17 of chapter 8. Um, and I've called this a needy world and the curse carrying cross of Jesus. So we've got another um, person who's ill, uh, the, the mother in law of Simon Peter. Um, she's lying sick with a fever, which uh, back then was a much more serious uh, kind of life-threatening risk than it is now. Um, again, this might be another person who, from the culture of the day, might well have been overlooked or viewed as a bit of an outsider to the very center of worshiping God. You've had a leper, you've had a centurion, and now maybe some would overlook this woman. But Jesus is having none of that. In fact, this time he doesn't even get asked. He just dives straight in. He takes the initiative He takes the initiative to touch her hand, verse 15. Again, risking both uncleanness uh, and infection and social impropriety. Again, though, the sickness disappears immediately. I mean, even today, in the days of strong antibiotics and paracetamol and ibuprofen, no one goes from a serious fever to the next minute, like hosting a dinner party. Jesus has this authority to fix a fallen world. And it's not just her, verse 16. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed with demons and he cast out the spirits of the word and he healed all who were sick. All of them. He really is emptying the hospitals. But how can that be? If sickness and death are symptoms of God's judgment and his curse. Well, the answer to that, and it's a big answer, it takes a bit of getting our head round, And it's a deeply moving answer, actually, when we do get our heads and hearts around it. The answer comes in verse 17, in this quotation from the prophet Isaiah. 
This is a quotation from Isaiah 53. In those chapters, Isaiah is speaking of a servant of God who always does the right thing and yet has a, a terrible suffering death. A criminal death, actually, even though he has no crimes of his own. A death on behalf of God's people. So I've actually put on the sheet uh, the next two verses and quoted from Isaiah 53, just after the one that Matthew refers to. So you can see what he's talking about. It's clearly talking about a swap going on, a substitution, where this righteous servant, God's servant, Jesus, takes the hit that we deserve so that we can enjoy the peace and the blessing that he deserves. So let me read those lines. This is just after we've heard about him taking on our illnesses and our diseases, our weaknesses and our suffering. Then, we, then Isaiah continues, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Listen to that. By his wounds, we are healed. All we were like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's that clear language of a swap, isn't there? Jesus taking our sin, our unclean record, onto his shoulders. But actually, not just our sin, but the consequences of our sin. Now, we normally think about the death consequence, the death penalty that he takes. But Matthew's saying, actually, no, it's, it's the whole suffering of this fallen world, the sickness, the suffering. This actually answers a question that's been bubbly long, bubbling, bubbling along in Genesis in the mornings. How is it fair for God, who is just, to bless people who are not, like Abraham or Lot or really anyone? in that book of the Bible and the rest of the Bible, and us. How can he just offer a place in the kingdom to a centurion who's been killing people? Not always rightly, I'm sure. Well, this is how. He carried our sicknesses on his shoulders along with facing our death on the cross. Just think about that. I said earlier, with this we'll close, I said earlier that and when Jesus reaches out and touches people, he doesn't, amazingly, he doesn't catch, he doesn't catch the illness, he doesn't catch the uncleanness, he remains clean. He does here in Matthew 8. He's not kind of catching things, such as his purity and his power and his authority. But actually, every time he touches, he knows he's going to carry that person's sin on his shoulders to the cross. That's what Matthew's saying. When he reached out to help those people, he did it at his own expense. That's what he does today. That person at the start who's so deep in sin, they they don't even know which way is up anymore, and they're too ashamed to tell anyone. Wonders, Jesus, I don't even know if you'd want to make me clean. Jesus says, I will. I do. I'll carry it for you to the cross. I think it'd be great to 
um, reflect on, both, both in a moment now as when we sing, um, but, but also to go away and reflect on that phrase, by his wounds we are healed. What an extraordinary thing. Not necessarily healed here and now. We're not living in Matthew 8 and 9, the show home. But one day we will all be healed of all that is wrong with our bodies. And that will be because of his wounds. Let me close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for Jesus, your son. You so loved the world that you gave us your only son, that we might not perish, but have eternal life in him. And Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that when you met an unclean leper and an unworthy centurion and an unwell mother-in-law and countless other people suffering, you reached out and you touched. And he did that knowing that you would face the Father on the cross, treated as unclean, treated as an outsider, treated as unrighteous because of us. We thank you for that. It's extraordinary. humbly. And we pray we would be a church family where we trust humbly in you and shine like a light in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.